Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Salty Winches. I'm your host, Ryan Chuck Miller, and you're listening to The Salt, presented by Iliad Media, where we take an objective look at news and politics today and shit on everything. Remember, not just to take your news with a grain of salt, but to take it with the salt. Today, we're going to be checking out some Taliban tomfoolery and some market crashes. Right now, it's 3 a.m., and I'm all jacked up on Pizza Hut and coffee. Feeling good on a Wednesday. I hope y'all are, too. Late episode this week, I know, save the angry email. I spilled water water all over my laptop as soon as I got back from motherfucking Podfest in Orlando and have had to uh, find an alternative. So thank you, Madison the Intern, for letting me record on your laptop. Special shout out to the team here at The Salt. They are Research Richard Solano, a.k.a. Dirty Dick, Madison the Intern, a.k.a. Madison the Sexy Intern, Casey Skaggs, a.k.a. Old Scallywag, who apparently has no time to do fucking research this week, but has time to do interviews and whatever. Uh, but it's it's all good, Casey. It's cool. Your girlfriend's in town. We all love her. Also, thank you to Hannah Holtz, a.k.a. The Holtzinator, for writing articles on Iliad's website. Definitely check out our Instagram. The handle is at the salt underscore podcast. We're getting a, a decent little community growing on there, and it's fucking awesome. Love y'all salty wenches, and I also love it uh, when you leave ratings and reviews on the app you listen on. It really helps us out when you do that. All right, one last thing. If you want to have a one-on-one chat with me or just send nudes and participate in some good old-fashioned sexting activities, either DM our Instagram or shoot me an email at info.thesaltpodcast at gmail.com, and we can for sure talk. Aight! It's update time. Right now, the world is like driving in a fucking Walmart parking lot, chaotic as fuck with a complete absence of rules, and North Korea is no different. North Korea is weird, man. So they've apparently been getting hit pretty hard with by, by the uh, coronavirus, and you know, as could be expected in a country with terrible health infrastructure that also refuses most international help. But wait, there's more. Yesterday, they fired three unidentified projectiles a week after firing two short-range missiles. Uh, this is dramatically you know, raising South Korea's security concerns because the rocket man is smart uh, but crazy and is, uh, you know, the South is fighting a pretty sizable coronavirus outbreak themselves. If you want to see what they're dealing with in South Korea, get on Netflix and watch Train to Busan. It's a movie about the spread of the coronavirus and, uh, you know, it is totally 100% accurate and based on facts. Uh, no, it's a movie about zombie, you know, a zombie virus infection, uh, but it's actually, you know, pretty okay. Plus, it was cool as fuck for me to watch because I used to live in South Korea, uh, or rather I was stationed there when I was in the army and, you know, I rode on that same train to Busan at least once. So it's kind of nostalgic except for the zombies, um, which, you know, definitely would have ruined my time there. Glad there were no zombies then. Uh, also glad there was no coronavirus then that probably would have put a little damper on my time there as well. But yeah, as for a country, uh, I haven't lived in, but that is the subject of a few previous episodes, Iran. In my humble opinion, they're getting like, you know, the worst of everything. Oil prices have tanked, which hits Iran particularly hard. About 17% of their GDP and 30% of their federal budget depends on oil alone. Plus, since the whole debacle with uh, General Salami, another subject of some previous episodes, the U.S. hit them with some pretty rough sanctions that sent their country into a pretty serious recession. Plus, 
their coronavirus outbreak has gotten basically fucking out of control since their past refusal to take foreign aid and, you know, already relatively weak medical infrastructure and medical system in that country. I, that's it for the updates. We're going to get into this episode, but not before uh, a word from today's podcast sponsor. Today's episode of The Salt is brought to you by... <laughs> Okay, so I guess I forgot to put a fucking sponsor. Whatever, the show goes on. Uh, We're going to start out by talking about the agreement with the Taliban and then move into the markets crashing. So let's get balls deep, salty wenches. On February 29th, the U.S. and the Taliban signed a deal aimed at ending the war in Afghanistan. Good shit. This is a war that started on October 7th, 2001, when the U.S.-led coalition responded to 9-11 and invaded Afghanistan. In this war, 2,440 American soldiers have been killed and an additional 20,320 have been wounded. So this agreement is signed to try and make peace. Under it, the U.S. is supposed to reduce its presence in Afghanistan from 13,000 troops to 8,600 in the next three to four months. The remaining forces are supposed to withdraw sometime within the next 14 months and then pretty much eliminate all U.S. presence in Afghanistan. This comes with a catch, though. The complete pullout of U.S. troops depends entirely on uh, the Taliban meeting their end of the bargain, which includes specific obligations to renounce al-Qaeda and prevent them or other terrorist groups from using Afghan soil to plot attacks on the U.S. or their allies. So if you ask me, that's a pretty fucking high expectation to have of a group that's done nothing but help terrorists plan terrorist attacks for like a really long time now. But more on that in a minute. The final stages of the deal are aimed at settling territorial disputes between armed groups in Afghanistan and establishing peace. Also, a pretty fucking tall order. And I don't say that out of malice. I just say that because Afghanistan has never had a real national identity. There are several, like, I guess you'd call them denominations of Islam in Afghanistan. And they've kind of been fighting for like hundreds of years with each other. Is it the U.S.'s business? Not really, but that's definitely gotten worse in the last 19 years since we've been there because, you know, we'll support some groups to fight others and yada, yada, yada. Uh, But good sentiments, maybe I'm just a pessimist. Um, U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper and Afghan President at Ashraf Ghani, Ashraf Ghani, I think is how you say that. That is a weird looking word. But yeah, Ashraf Ghani signed a joint statement committing the Afghan government to support the U.S. Taliban deal, which is viewed skeptically and understandably uh, by many war weary Afghans. Of course, they're not going to trust us very much, but they also don't trust the Taliban that much either. Uh, One group of skeptics in particular in Afghanistan is women who very understandably fear the comeback of the ultra conservative Taliban. And just real quick, let's do a a quick rundown of what exactly the Taliban Taliban is and was uh, because I honestly didn't know much about them other than just, you know, what I learned growing up, you know, and that was, you know, hearing that they're a terrorist organization that was in charge of Afghanistan. The Taliban started in the early 1990s as an offshoot of, the, uh, uh, of an imitation cult of the People's Temple cult from Indianapolis. Uh, but the Taliban had a, f- a fresh new twist, sodomy of young boys. So basically, instead of drinking the Kool-Aid to write a comet, uh, they fuck boys and then they suicide bomb themselves to write a comet with 72 virgin young boys. And as a ritual, they shout, Aloha snack bar right before detonation. No, none of that was true. 
Well, <laughs> well, I, I guess except for the boy fucking and the suicide bombing and the 72 versions. So, you know, seriously, those are true, but uh, not exactly how I said it. Plus, they are actually, you know, pretty much a real cult. So, you know what? I take it back. All of it's fucking true. The Taliban is just a new spin on that cult. Uh, you know, the Taliban blows and they can suck my ass because I do not negotiate with terrorists. So, yeah, I'm standing by all of that. But here's the rest of their history. Uh, the Taliban, it means students. Um, they came about in the early 1990s following the withdrawal of Soviet troops from Afghanistan. By 1998, they were in control of about 90% of the country. They stood for restoring law and order, peace, and, of course, Sharia law. <laughs> Man, they fucking had me till I heard Sharia law. Nope. None of that shit is for me. Count me out. But a lot of their early success in uh, taking control of Afghanistan was due to them stamping out corruption, lawlessness, and making areas under their control safe for industry to flourish. But they also had a lot of traditional Islamic punishments like public executions of adulterers and amputations for thieves. They also banned TV, radio, music, movies, and girls over 10 years old going to school, which is how they got the name Taliban. Get it? It's not much, but it gets the job done, folks. But yeah, you get the point. They fucking they they fucking sucked since like day one. They had good sentiments, but they like at the same time they're like ultra oppressive. And since two thousand one, the Taliban has made Afghanistan a sanctuary for terrorist groups like Al Qaeda, and have continued to have the right to you know suck the farts out of my fucking ass ever since. Back to the agreement and the current stuff, though. There's a paper signed, and that's supposed to stop the violence, right? Wrong. Violence in Afghanistan surged after the deal was signed. Since the agreement was signed not even two weeks ago, Taliban fighters have carried out more than 70 attacks on Afghan government security forces, and the U.S. has gotten pretty pervasive intel that they have no intentions of holding up their end of the bargain. That's pretty much what Taliban sources in Pakistan are saying, and there's a lot of congruency in what they're saying and what we're seeing. Those Taliban representatives in Pakistan say the group views the peace process as a way of securing the withdrawal of American, you know, quote, occupiers, and after which it will attack the U.S.-backed government in Afghanistan. So, yeah. These butt snacks probably didn't even make a, they probably didn't even make it a fucking day. Um, three days after the agreement, the U.S. conducted a drone strike in response to Taliban fighter attacks on Afghan security forces in the Hemlin province, which was the first U.S. attack on the Taliban in 11 days, which is like a fucking record. In a tweet, Colonel Sonny Leggett, who was a spokesman for the U.S. forces in Afghanistan, said that it was a defensive strike to disrupt an attack on an Afghan National Security Forces checkpoint. He also said that the Taliban had launched 43 attacks on Afghanistan checkpoints in the Hemlin province. And, of course, the Taliban, you know, just denies any responsibility for any of the attacks. Taliban spokesman Suhail Shaheen tweeted, Shaheen tweeted, Suhail Shaheen tweeted, said, quote, we categorically reject allegations by the U.S. intelligence uh, intel officials to NBC News that the Taliban has no intention of abiding by the agreement. The implementation process is going good so far. Just the good old Russia in Ukraine tactic. No, we 
we we not uh, Russia. We not in Ukraine. Uh, Russia. We not attack. We are uh, how you say, love Ukraine, and of course, uh, we not there. A couple of U.S. intelligence officials said that, according to recent assessments, the uh, the attacks will continue as a means to pressure the Afghan government to do a prisoner swap. And for some reason, our current administration is just like ignoring the fact that this stuff is like even happening uh secretary of state mike pompeo was asked about the process prospects of peace on thursday and he said quote we still have confidence that the taliban leadership is working to deliver on his commitment end quote this is after more than 70 taliban attacks in less than two weeks since february 29th so (laughs) we're fucking killing it guys but in other news the coronavirus is crashing the markets my own stock portfolio has taken a pretty big hit and I, I am not so okay with it. But this isn't about me. Other investors, like actually good investors that make money, unlike me, are usually pretty scared of almost everything. Like it's, <laughs> it seems like they take a dump that's more watery than usual in the morning and then, you know, they go sell all of their shares in, you know, everything. But to be honest, it's not totally unfounded. Uh, stock markets hate uncertainty because it makes it harder for businesses to plan for future expansion and growth. Like, for example, it's hard for Disney to partner with SpaceX and plan to make like a like a fucking you know Disney planet on the moon if no one is planning on going you know to the moon uh, anymore since everyone is afraid of catching the coronavirus. And yes. I own stock in Disney, which used to be fucking awesome after Disney Plus came out, but now it's just a big old pile of shit in my portfolio. So serious stock investors are getting hit pretty hard right now. Cool fact, about 80% of the stocks in American markets are owned by only about 10% of the population. A Gallup poll in September found that only 55% of Americans even own stock, or at least knowingly. So basically you know, the 10% of the population that owns 80% of the stocks, they own a lot of fucking stocks, even though 55% of Americans own stock, either indirectly or directly. We'll go over that in a minute. Retirement accounts are usually really diversified, but they have holdings in various stocks and bonds and all other kinds of investments, which means that, you know, a lot of people with retirement accounts and investment accounts like a, you know, a 401k or an IRA, IRA being a, an investment retirement account, not the fucking, you know, the Irish terrorists, the Irish Republican army. But, you know, people that have those technically own stock and partially depend on the well-being of the markets for those retirement accounts. With those markets getting screwed over right now, so are people's retirement accounts, or at least, you know, to some degree. But stock markets aren't the economy and they shouldn't be treated like they are or thought of like they are. They can be used as an indicator of a good economy, but shouldn't be used as like a definitive way to say if the overall economy is good or bad. So basically just because there's, you know, people are scared and selling their shares right now doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that we're, you know, just totally doing bad right now. It's probably more likely to mean that, you know, when one investor goes, the rest usually follow and that can make waves. But not all stocks are down. Like, for example, interestingly enough, uh, Clorox is fucking killing it right now. I looked at it uh, yesterday and it is, oh my God, it is through the roof. It's like at a record high. Um, A good stock market can mean that there is, uh, you know, high investor confidence that companies will continue to expand. Another note here, though, is that young Americans especially 
shouldn't be too worried about the markets crashing affecting their retirement investment investment funds because this will more than likely end up you know being a temporary thing that's because although the markets aren't doing so well right now you know our economy isn't dependent on those but the good news is that they aren't you know our economy isn't dependent on goods coming in from other seas either. Imports only make up for like 15% of our global or our gross domestic product or our GDP. Um, in other words, you know, the other 85% of what we consume in the U S is either made here or, you know, more than anything, a service of, of some kind. So that's to say that although the U S economy isn't completely isolated from the outside world, we aren't completely dependent on it either. In fact, the vast majority of our economy is not dependent on global trade. Oil has been taking a fucking hit lately though. Reduced travel, production of goods, etc., make the demand go down. And that also drives the price of oil down. To compensate for that, OPEC was trying to slow the output of oil into the market so that prices wouldn't suffer too much. But Russia, fucking Russia, decided that instead of playing ball so that, you know, no one gets hurt too bad, they're just going to, you know, bone everyone else, including themselves, just to hurt the U.S. Classic Russia, which brings us into a brand new segment that I think we can all enjoy. Da 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 da. Stalin's world. Did you know that uh, in in Russia, oil not main part of economy. Oil not even any part of economy. Uh, in Russia, Soviet machinery run on how you say uh, blood of enemy, like. How you say, uh, uh, normally, our own people in Gulag. If your car need gas and you fill it with blood of traitor to state neighbor who say they not like Gulag, then car runs smooth and clean. You might be Soviet. Da 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 da. Stalin's world. <laughs> Fuck, I love doing that. I came up with that little bit of gold at like 5 a.m. You know, in the morning one day when I was trying to go to sleep. Uh, in case you haven't picked up on it yet, I'm like the most extreme type of night owl. Like I'll stay up till you know 7 a.m. no problem. But as soon as I see that fucking sunlight, ah oh man, you bet I'm gonna be tired. You know, all day till the moon comes out and gives me energy again. Maybe I'm just a vampire. I don't know. But definitely expect more of Stalin's world. It's like so much fun for me. But anyways, yeah, Russia is kind of screwing any uh, anyone and everyone just to hurt the US. So in response, Saudi Arabia is, you know, they're just going to flood the markets with oil and drive prices down even more. So way to go, Saudi Arabia. You're like almost worse in this case. So other than coronavirus, oil is getting hit, you know, with failed negotiations and caused the worst one day crash in oil prices in nearly 30 years. This all happened after talks between OPEC and OPEC plus in, in Vienna collapsed. So we're going to go over OPEC a little bit because, you know, it's pretty unclear probably to most people what exactly that is. So what is OPEC? You might be wondering. It stands for the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. It was found, founded in 1960 in Baghdad by the first five members and the other nine joined later. But like, so after some digging on their website 
and you know some super unclear shit all over the web from a bunch of credible sources who knows how many members opec actually has everyone says it's 14 everyone says opec plus has 24 members um the website says it only has 13 you know or at least there's only 13 listed um here are the 13 listed ones they are algeria angola congo equatorial guinea gabon uh iraq iran kuwait libya nigeria saudi arabia and the united arab emirates and finally venezuela and good luck trying to find out which fucking countries are you know opec plus members or exactly what the difference is between the two alliances you know with a fucking straightforward online answer but we do know that russia is a part of opec plus and that there are like allegedly nine other ones so I think the difference between OPEC, you know, it, it, you know, OPEC was formed a long time ago and is more formal and OPEC plus is more recent and involves more countries, I think is like the, the main difference that we can kind of deduce here. But, you know, the purpose of OPEC is to coordinate and unify the petroleum policies of its member countries and ensure the stabilization of oil markets in order to secure an efficient economic and regular supply of petroleum to consumers, a steady income to producers, and a fair return on capital for those investing in the petroleum industry. So basically their purpose is to control the supply of oil output to meet the demands, whether it be higher or lower, and control the prices so that everyone makes the maximum profit. OPEC members collectively supply about 43.5% of the world's crude oil production and 81.9% of the world's total crude oil reserves. But with the additional members in OPEC+, Plus, those numbers jump to 55% of production and 90% of the reserves. So basically the vast majority of what we produce now and almost everything that we're going to be able to produce in the future... That gives us OPEC, which is a huge cartel, which has a huge level of global influence. Basically, though, oil isn't doing so well right now, like at all. And even though some people hate it and want it to go away completely, until we have viable alternative solutions, it's vital to the world economy for now. And when the oil industry suffers, we all suffer. So, like, I'm from an oil town and have seen at least a couple big oil booms and oil busts. Every time there's a boom, there are like, you know, people moving there from all over. You can't even find a fucking camper parking spot to live in, you know, in your RV. And if you can, it's going to cost like $1,000 a month. Not kidding. Maybe more. And then oil prices fall and we're in a bust. And all of a sudden, you know, everyone moves away. No one has any money to do anything. And the whole economy in that area just takes a major hit. All businesses suffer because all businesses in Hobbs, New Mexico depend on oil field guys spending their money there. So in a really convoluted way, what I'm trying to say is that whether you love it or hate it, oil is a huge part of the world economy and critically important to security of the world and the world economy. Is it here forever? No. There's only so much of it down there. But for now, it's something we all need to pay attention to. And the stock market is also a pretty damn important factor to look at when it comes to things like, you know, this big coronavirus dip because it directly and indirectly affects pretty much everyone who lives in America, whether they realize it or not. And one last thing. After Putin decided to not play ball with OPEC, he he slathered himself in crude oil, 
jerked off his minister of energy and sang the old Soviet anthem in celebration of fucking America like the slut she is. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening, Salty Winches. It means a whole lot to me that y'all do. But don't let it stop there. Come and talk to us on Instagram. We'll send you a free sticker in the mail if you send us pictures of you holding a sign that says, Listen to the Salt, and we'll tag you on that as well. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. We absolutely love that shit. Also, definitely email me at info.thesaltpodcast at gmail.com, and we can talk about that time your sister flashed me to skip the line at the bar. It was pretty awesome, just in case you were wondering. Keep an eye out for my book coming out in the next few months and also keep an ear out for that actual community forum that will be coming when we get a good enough community built on Instagram. It will be exclusively for only the realest of the real, the saltiest of the salty winches. Special shout out to the team here again at The Salt and at Iliad Media. Y'all are kicking ass and taking names. One last thing, don't forget... To not just take your news with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, I said that backwards. One last thing. Take two. Don't forget to just... Uh, well, I can't. I just cannot get this right. Okay, take three. Don't forget to not just take your news with a grain of salt, but to take it with the salt. I ate him out this bitch. Back to you, salty winches. This is your host, Ryan Chuck Miller, signing off. <laughs>